to MindWell, hosted by Michelle Jones. We are all about connecting with wellness professionals and individuals with unique perspectives about developing wholeness and well-being. This podcast is designed to help you reconnect to your core self and find the resiliency, capability, and strength you already have within. MindWell is sponsored by IntegrateTrauma.com. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of MindWell. On this podcast, we interview people who have remarkable perspectives on the power of making mindful connections. I'm Michelle Jones, and today I'm here with Sarah Farmer. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so for having me. I appreciate it. I have been looking forward to this conversation for a couple of weeks, so I am delighted that we have come to this moment. Before we get started, I just wanted to introduce you a little bit to our listeners. Great. Sarah Farmer has been working in the field of trauma-informed care for the past 20 years. In addition to being a certified trauma integration practitioner, she creates trauma education trainings and guidance documents used nationally by behavioral health clinicians, juvenile justice settings, substance abuse treatment facilities, health centers, homeless service providers, and more. Her work is used to train behavioral health professionals, direct caregivers, peer mentors, and survivors about trauma, its effects, and methods for recovery. She is also the parent of an adopted special needs daughter with complex trauma. She has used this experience to help other adoptive parents and is vice president of CARES Meadow, which is finding new approaches to help adopted children with trauma histories to find healing. Sarah, I cannot wait. There are so many interesting things in here that I'm excited to talk to you about. So my first question for you, I am Mm -hmm. so curious, what brought you to the field of trauma education? Well, it really started about 20 years ago. I started working for Harvard Medical School in their education department, and there was a domestic violence program that I started writing for. And I'd always cared about things like that because I had a trauma history myself, but I didn't really understand domestic violence. You know, I'd see women or even men in these situations and think, why don't they just leave? You know, they have a choice. I didn't understand the complexity of trauma and how it holds people in situations that aren't healthy for them. And so starting to write about it and learn about it and really learn what it does to the body and the mind and your relationships was so fascinating to me. And seeing that people can heal from this and move on and have beautiful lives was really inspiring to me because I was still suffering from my own trauma. It's really like such an amazing process to watch unfold, I would imagine. It is. It increases your self-awareness, but just your understanding and empathy for all other people, because you have no idea what trauma people have gone through. Everyone's gone through something. Right. And we have no idea. Even the strongest people can be dealing with something very painful underneath. I feel like we're just stepping into this time of people really having a lot more understanding and awareness of trauma. So oh, when, absolutely. So when you were starting into this about 20 years ago, you must have seen a lot of kind of evolution in how people see trauma since the time when you first became interested in this work. Yes, definitely. In the beginning, it was just more about how can I make sense of the experience and move forward And then we started getting the works of great trauma people like Bessel van de Kock and Peter Levine, where they really explained how it stays in your body. It has a biological 
and psychological effect that was never talked about. We just didn't know about it. Right. And they started doing brain scans and things that actually show that there are changes in our brain development after trauma. None of this was known before. So now whole organizations, whole systems of care are starting to become trauma-informed, which is just an incredible thing. You know, that you can go into a hospital that's trauma-informed. You can go into a doctor's office, any of these things, and they can do trauma-informed care. And that was never even a thought 20 years ago. No one cared about that. Absolutely. I've seen a huge change as I've interacted with people as well, just overall as a understanding and recognition how important it is to be aware of that part of our experience that as we move forward it doesn't just disappear as much as we no, would like it to no absolutely not as much as we <laughs> I would wish like it, it did to. but it exactly. doesn't okay so sarah how do you define trauma trauma is for me and through the studies i've done it's not the experience itself it's how we make sense of it afterward it's the emotional physiological spiritual biological response that we have because you can have two people in the same car accident and one of them is traumatized afterward and can't go into work and is home in bed for three days feeling panicky and the other one's like well I survived it's okay and they go on into work that day it's the same experience but they both experienced it differently and so trauma is what we carry with us in our mind and body after a really frightening event yes what do you think people most misunderstand about trauma? Like, what are some of the assumptions that it seems like people frequently make that are just not matching up with what we now understand about trauma? Mm -hmm. I think the biggest one is people think people should just be able to get over it. You know, I've heard people say they've sent perhaps their child to me or someone else. And I said, well, it's been 10 years. She should be over it by now. It's over. It's in the past. It's just a memory. Why can't she move on? And there's just not an understanding of the massive impact it has and that it's carried in your body. So each time another trigger happens, it's like you're experiencing it all over again. But instead, people think if someone's had a bad experience in the past and they become combative, maybe when they're in mental health care, they still have that fight response. They're still going back to that trauma. And instead, they're just labeled as combative or difficult Or if someone doesn't want to talk, then they're non-compliant. And they give them labels. And we really shouldn't label people by their behavior. This is a response to their trauma. And they're doing the best they can. And we just need to have a lot more empathy for what people have gone through and ask, hey, what happened to you? You know, there's a saying, ask what's happened to you, not what's wrong with you. Yes. Because there's nothing wrong with them. This is a normal response to a very abnormal situation that they went through. Yes. Trauma is not normal. It happens every day, but we don't expect it. And, and I so always, we each survive it the best we can. And I always feel like I have this thought that if we understood the context for all the people that we meet and how they're behaving, it would be so much easier to have compassion and to see others with the context of what they've experienced. Yes. Yes. Just treat them kindly. And even if they're overreacting or being rude or something, there may be a reason that we just have no idea what's happened in their life. And if we did, we'd probably have compassion for almost everyone we meet, even those that we can't stand or that have completely different views than us and we want nothing to do with them. If we really understood their path and all they've gone through, we'd all love each other a lot in a lot simpler ways and easier ways. And I think we'd have better discussions and just in our society, yes. and heal a lot faster. Yes, and just be more 
open to engaging and connecting with people without worrying about putting a name or a label to it. Right, right. You don't have to call them crazy or, you know, that word's tossed around a lot. And people are just dealing with very complex issues in the best way we can. It seems like when people get um, people who have had this traumatic response that 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 they're managing, and then when people, like if we take this really common misunderstanding, which is that just get over it, it almost mm-hmm. seems like that would be compounding for the person who has experienced trauma because now it's kind of adding maybe some feelings like they're being judged or some feelings of even shame that maybe I should be over this by now. I think it absolutely activates shame and guilt. You know, like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get over this? When in fact, no one just gets over it. People may be good at hiding it, but we don't just get over it. But that's that feeling of shame or especially among men in America that you have to be strong. You're weak if you have any kind of trauma or if you cry or if you talk about something. So then they stuff it down and it becomes anger or it could become violence when in fact it's all based in trauma. So as you brought up like men maybe having a different response, it seems like there's probably a lot of different ways that people respond to trauma. So like what are some common things that people may notice that may be a little clue for them that I may have some trauma that might need to be resolved? Like what are some of the ways that that shows up for people? Um, There's a lot of different ways. A lot are emotional, such as depression, or they may just feel kind of numb. They're not really in tune with their body because they're just dissociating from their feelings because it's too hard to feel things. A lot of people will have a lot of anxiety or panic attacks, or they may turn to a numbing coping mechanism such as overeating or taking drugs, alcohol, or high-risk behaviors, like having risky sexual encounters, all ways to kind of numb the feelings that are inside of them. And if it's children, you'll often see a change in their behavior, like they might become violent with their pets or with their sibling, or they might have nightmares, night terrors. Just notice little behavior changes that are happening in people you know. I wonder if it's difficult for people to kind of differentiate, specifically when you talked about like depression and anxiety at the beginning. It seems like either we're talking about it a lot more or it's more prevalent, but it seems like that's something that is a very common experience that people are experiencing depression and anxiety. And I wonder if that's challenging for people to kind of sort out how that may be connected to them, like is part of this part of the experiences that I've had before, or Mm -hmm. is this just who I am? Is this just kind of my chemical makeup? Right. And there are people that just have chemical depression or anxiety disorders But in some of the studies I've done, there's up to 84% of mental adults in mental health have a trauma history. So that's a huge correlation, 84%. And, you know, over 70% of children go through some kind of trauma. So really it's so universal that even if you have chemical depression, that's just naturally there. Once you've gone through a traumatic experience, it just compounds it. Yes. And it makes it so much harder to work through it or to keep on going, to get out of bed in the morning, because it just exacerbates the original chemical issues that you have. And so I think things that help trauma, trauma informed care or approaches of any kind, are really good for almost everybody in society because we're all hurting in some way. 
There's very few of us that escape trauma altogether. Sure. So it sounds like what you're saying is even if I may have a baseline tendency toward, say, anxiety, because that would be what is really relatable for me, as Mm -hmm. I am able to address my trauma, that's going to take some of the weight off of that, some of like the layers that may be just making it more intense or a little more intrusive. Yeah, absolutely. Because I have chemical depression and OCD, so I've got the anxiety disorder, but I also have the childhood trauma. And so in my 20s, when I went and got help and got medication for the depression and OCD, that took care of the chemical part, but I still had an underlying depression and anxiety. And I'd still have nightmares about all the ways I could be hurt and think about that. And I'm like, why am I still having this when I've gotten that medical help I needed? Absolutely. But the drugs couldn't take away my memories. They couldn't take away my body responses to the trauma. It can numb it a little bit, but it doesn't take it away. Okay. So that, even though we had two different experiences, that really mirrors an experience that I had. So I had significant anxiety since I was young. And I noticed as Mm -hmm. I became older, especially as I became a mother, that my anxiety increased tremendously. And then there were periods of time I, you know, it was a little bit of a white knuckle situation. Like I got this, I got this, I got this. And then when I felt like I didn't anymore, I went to get medication because for some reason I had some shame wrapped up in doing that, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And and so then I'd feel good for a period of time. And then I almost had like the oh crap feeling because I was like, wait a second, I'm, I'm on the medication, I'm doing all this stuff, and I'm still feeling unsettled in my own body. Like, what is that about? And it was a really stressful feeling because I thought, well, I'm already stepping into this and being, you know, kind of like I've already gone to that place of getting help and I'm still struggling. So what does that mean for me? And at that time, right. I didn't and it leaves understand. you feeling hopeless sometimes. Oh. Like there is no help and I'm going to feel this way for the yeah. rest of my life. Yeah. Which is a terrible way to spend every day. Yes, because then it just added to my anxiety, of course, because now <laughs> right, I exactly. anxiety about my anxiety. <laughs> I get up every morning and when you know yes. it's going to be terrible. Yes. And so that really just feels so true to me that I, because at that point I didn't understand that part of what was going on was trauma. I was having a response to some trauma that was going on and that was leading into it. Okay. So this leads us to the next step because each of us had this experience, but now we're sitting in a different place. So what are some approaches and strategies that are commonly used to help people move forward from unresolved trauma? Because I love how you said that the part that really drew you in was the hope part, right? That we're not just stuck with this because we've kind of sat in this space for a few minutes talking about some Mm -hmm. really real ways that it's affected us and that it affects people honestly around the world on a daily basis. So where's the hope? What are some of the strategies that people commonly use that you have studied? Yeah, well, and it's such a great thing because really humans are very resilient you know, our bodies and our brains are designed to be resilient. We're designed to go through difficult things and move forward just like animals are. But sometimes we get stuck in that and think there's no way out, but there is for nearly everybody. You know, there may be some that just aren't willing yet, or it's going to take years of different methods, but we are resilient and there is hope. And there's all kinds of ways you can address it. A lot of people just start with cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, going in and talk, talk, talking, but that doesn't always help with trauma. It can help with other issues, but trauma is also living in our body. Right. So doing things that include a physical part, which is called somatic Mm -hmm. 
There's somatic experiencing where you take different feelings that are in the body to work through them and how they relate to your trauma memories. There's trauma-informed yoga that people use. There is breath work where you breathe through a lot of the different trauma and get in touch with your body because a lot of people who have been through trauma, especially um, sexual assault, you shut yourself off from your body. You don't want to feel it anymore. It's like, it's not even part of you. You're looking at this person, but it's not your body. And so so getting in touch with your feelings again. And so as part of this, as you're sharing some of these things, it's actually connecting back to the trauma response, but it sounds like Mm -hmm. our natural response is to disconnect from that, to like not want to be connected to that. Has that been something that... It is when there's not a resolution to the trauma. Okay. You know, if someone goes through a traumatic experience, but they're able, we have different responses, which most people have heard of the fight, flight, or freeze. So if you're in a trauma situation and you feel like you can fight back, your body will do that. Mm. And if you run away, that's the flee response. But those that freeze, which is just a natural response, it's nothing to feel ashamed of. Your body does this automatically as part of its just primal brain, but they don't get a resolution to that trauma. And so it just stays with them because there's nothing to release that nervous energy that the nervous system has brought up because you're trying to survive it. So then you spend the rest of your life or many, many years still living in that situation. That energy is still in your body and there's been no resolution to the trauma. You haven't been able to act it out or get any kind of closure. So it just stays in you. And I would imagine that that energy that's staying inside of you is part of what's showing up in people's everyday lives as they're trying to continue that showing up as all of these other symptoms and things that are coming out. Yeah, absolutely. And every time something happens that reminds you of that, your body goes right back in to that fight, flight, or freeze response. And so you might hear with my daughter, anytime she hears a loud noise, she either screams or she drops to the ground in a feral position. And that's her way of surviving from what she went through in an orphanage because there wasn't any place to run. She couldn't fight anybody. She was a little kid. So she had to freeze or just drop and play dead. And so anytime there's a loud noise or something scares her, or there's a man that reminds her of someone that's hurt her in the past, she automatically goes into this response. She doesn't necessarily want to. It's just what the body does. Right. Because it's not even like a conscientious thought that I'm saying. Not at all. Not at all. I see this danger, so I'm going to react this way to protect myself. And I think that that can be really, that in and of itself can be kind of confusing and stressful, I feel like, as someone who has experienced trauma, when mm-hmm. I'm in, when I'm having a response that feels out of control to me, that I remember feeling very stressful because I thought, what is wrong? Like, what's going on in my body? Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm having this reaction that I didn't mean to have that happen. I didn't mean to sort of disclose that much about myself mm-hmm. to people yeah. around me. And yet here I am, that little part of myself saying, this is ridiculous or not very rational, but yet here mm-hmm. I am. And so that makes sense because it's connecting back to this. And so one of the things that I heard you say is that part of this work is connecting to things that didn't get a chance to finish, that like we yes. didn't get to bring a resolution to it. So yes, as you were, absolutely. as you've kind of looked at and studied and even written about all these different ways mm-hmm. and all these different approaches that people have used in order to try to find that resolution, 
at some point you made the transition from education to practitioner work. And so what kind of made you take the leap to do that? Well, I originally did it because of my daughter, all of her trauma, because she has cognitive disabilities. Cognitive behavioral therapy is completely useless. You know, she has, she's dissociated from reality. She can't sit and talk about her past and her memories. And so much of it happened before she was even verbal. And so she still has memories, but they have no words attached to them. So we went through years of just talking therapy and nothing changed. And so in the studies that I was doing and in the programs that I write about, it seemed that those that involved something somatic, something involving the body memories had much better success rates and people healed faster from that. So I was looking for a way to incorporate that so that I could use it with her because she didn't trust most therapists. And so I thought if I can learn this, maybe I can help her move forward in her life. So really being in tune with, I am going to keep looking because what's working for my daughter or because everything we're trying isn't working. And so I'm going to keep looking until we find it. I mean, that is like- I wasn't giving up. (laughs) I knew there was something. I feel like that's the quintessential special needs mom mantra. Like this may not be working, but I'm going to keep looking till I find what does work. So that's amazing. You you fight till you die to find something that will help them. Absolutely. So how old was your daughter when you adopted her and where did you adopt her from? She was five and I got her from Bulgaria. Okay. Wow. So I imagine- So she spent all five of those years from the day she was born. She was a two pound baby. So she was just stuck in a crib, left alone, not touched given no kind of conversation, nothing, basically for five years. And at the time that you adopted her, was there a lot of understanding of all of how that would, like how those first five years would affect her long term? <laughs> not, not to me, no. I was completely <laughs> clueless. I thought, I'm so loving. I'm just going to love her and she's going to be just fine and everything will work out. Because love heals everything, right? And I quickly learned it doesn't heal much of anything. Love is a great thing. We all need it, but it doesn't heal you from trauma. And so I just felt in, I was like a fish out of water. I had no idea what to do or how to help her. And really at that time, neither did most therapists. And so we just kept going from therapy to therapy and nothing was helping, you know, and she had the reactive attachment disorder because people with trauma often can't bond with other people. They don't trust other people, especially if the trauma happened when they were really young, then they don't develop that bonding, the part of the brain, the chemical that mothers and their children have that gets set off. If the children don't have a loving caretaker, that chemical in the brain doesn't get activated. So they honestly don't know how to attach to people and bond. So you adopt them or you know, perhaps they're just in your family, or maybe you marry someone with a reactive attachment disorder. They have a very hard time feeling anything for you, allowing any kind of physical touch. Everything is survival. And and And, people are just objects to get what they need to survive. And all of that comes right back to that trauma response because of everything she had had. We all are just trying to survive. You know, we're like animals in that way. We are trying to survive life. And because we think so much, We think we should have a bigger, I don't know, perspective than that. But really, when it comes right down to it from childhood, all of us are just trying to survive. And all of our reactions, for the most part, are based on 
how is this going to help me or how will this hurt me and how do I get through this? Absolutely. Because she had to learn to survive in that environment. Right. Many of those kids do not. There's high death rates. Even the kids that aren't abused, but they're just neglected. They lay there and they die Yeah, because we need human touch. We need bonding. We need attachment. And so many children in orphanages or foster care or just in an abusive household where the parents are absent or neglectful or abusive, they don't get what they need to learn these basic skills that we have to have as humans to have normal friendships, to have healthy romantic relationships. So you see people just following the cycle of their family, and then you move from that into an abusive relationship, into another abusive relationship, until you can break that and go back and heal that original trauma. You'll just keep repeating it until you can find a way to heal through it. And again, there is a way, you know, we're resilient, so it's not hopeless. So as you're sharing this, I'm wondering if on the quest to try to find what your daughter needed, if that ended up helping you to understand for your own self things that that you also personally needed as well. Oh, absolutely. I didn't realize that I was still carrying so much trauma until I adopted a traumatized child and saw her reactions and realized, oh, I have some problems bonding with people too. From my abuse as a child, not within yes. my family, but from someone in my neighborhood. So I had learned to keep people at a distance, especially men. I didn't want any of them coming near me because they might harm me again. And seeing her behaviors made me realize that I was not healed yet. And so really I was on a quest to heal both of us and to get us both to the place where we could accept love from other people and trust other people, which was a tough journey. You know, we've, we've gotten there, but it was hard. Absolutely. But, you know, if there's any journey that's worth persevering through, I feel like this is one of them. Like, yes, like, because you're able to become who you really are. Yes, because, you know, especially when you're hurt in childhood, you stop being a child, you stop having fun, you stop being playful, you start just trying to please people so no one hurts you again. And so in that, you're not authentic anymore. You're not your real self. You're putting up walls. And to break that down finally is so freeing. It's a wonderful thing. For me, I noticed that one thing that was kind of a revelation for me was being able to sit in my own body and feel yes. at home. And, yes. and until I felt it, I didn't know that it was not there. And mm -hmm. so, you know, there's all these little pieces that if we don't feel safe, if we don't feel connected, if we don't feel like we're allowed and that it's safe for us to be our true selves, we almost don't even know what we're missing. And so when we can, right. yeah. And so when we can like fully connect to it, I almost feel like that's when the world opens up for us because now we're ready yes. to just step into whatever comes next without having to sort of double check and make sure everything's tucked in before we move out. The yes, door, exactly. Know? Yeah. You're able to be yourself. And sometimes you don't even know who that is until you get to that point. And then you get the chance to discover who you actually are. What is it that I actually like or don't like Yes. rather than just pleasing other people? Yes. What kind of behavior is acceptable to me and what isn't? And discovering all those things, it's a whole new world into yourself. Absolutely. Okay. So what made you choose trauma integration as your approach for guiding people to this process? Because it, because it almost sounds like part of what you're doing is you have this adventure 
mm-hmm. which I'm just using that as like a really nice word for like the total torment that sometimes the journey is, right? <laughs> it was In a hellish to... adventure, but it was exactly. an adventure. Yes. But you know, <laughs> we kind of like get get our bumps and bruises along the way, but we keep going down this path and and you have been able to make these connections and to and and to find hope and to see these these things through and now you're preparing and are guiding your clients through this process. So what mm-hmm. made you choose trauma integration as like the pathway to bring them through? Well, because we'd gone through the cognitive therapy and that didn't work and quite frankly it didn't work for me either. I went through a couple of years of it. And it just didn't get rid of my low-grade depression at all. There was still this sense of sadness all the time. And I went and trained a few years ago, just privately with Wayne Johnson, who came up with this method. I went to learn to teach, to help my daughter. But in learning the method, I had to go through the integration therapy myself. And after hours of that, when I came out of it and suddenly realized all this low-grade depression and sadness I have every day is no longer there. It honestly just disappeared. And every situation that I'd go into where that would always come up, I started trying them out and it never came up in any of them anymore. I just suddenly felt free, like this weight had been lifted off of me. And this fear I had of the world and other people and just this kind of sense that I was an imposter in some ways and the ways that I would react to people, it all went away just through this therapy because I had never incorporated the body memories until this particular integrative therapy. And so it was such a remarkable experience for me that like I have to learn this and teach other people because there's so many people hurting and cognitive therapy is great, but it's not helping everyone with that deep trauma And I just want everyone to feel better and be able to move forward and be happy in their lives. And so that's why I then went and got the certification in it. And I'm now helping people. Um, And it's a wonderful feeling to see people come in and say, there's really no hope for me. You know, they've been through family suicides or extreme abuse. And then to leave and say, I never thought I would feel good again. And I do makes everything in life worth it. Being able to see someone's life finally be happy. And it kind of takes me back to our conversation at the beginning where, you know, we were talking about how there were some things that we would try that would be useful for a little bit of time until it wasn't. But it sounds like one of the things that made this different for you is not that you felt short-term relief, but that that it has been more long-lasting, that these things haven't started to like creep back in for you. Right. Because this was, I think, five years ago that I did the original training. For something the last five years is pretty long-term. You know, it's it's a total change in who I am. I've been able to, uh, my relationships with people are different. My relationship with my daughter is different. She now hugs me. We went almost 17 years without her hugging me because she didn't want that closeness and that touch. And Sarah, now she tells me she loves me. Sarah, I mean, that- I, as an adoptive parent, you don't hear that for decades sometimes. That is life changing. That kind of thing. Oh my god, it's it's I, incredible. I am thrilled for you. Like I'm just grinning, just imagining how that feels. That difference to be able to have that. I guess to be able to like connect in a joyful way with your right, daughter. Right. That that is like irreplaceable. Oh, really. it is magical. It's it's what every parent wants, but not every parent gets. And you wait decades to have your kid hug you and say, "I love you." I just start crying. 
Well, I and, never thought I would hear that from her. And it, and it seems like people that have, because because you mentioned some people will come in and feel kind of like, well, there's probably no hope for me, but here I am. You know, we'll give it oh, a try. Oh, a lot of them. But that like people that have been through things and have maybe tried certain approaches or therapies or medication and still feel like it doesn't work. I imagine that it's hard for them to feel optimistic or hopeful that they actually, that, that it's even possible to feel relief. Very. And you also don't want to be disappointed again. Yes. Yes. You know, having hope and carrying it each time and then having it be a huge disappointment. It's almost like going through a trauma again, because it's that loss of hope. And that's really hard. And so you set your bar of expectations clear down to the bottom. Exactly. You know, exactly. if I feel better for one day, great. Or but then to have them come out and feel better forever, that's miraculous. Or even maybe to reach the point, because I know there were times when I felt this where I thought, well, this is just as good as it gets. So the expectation oh, was so low that I thought, well, I'm just an anxious person and I just yep. don't feel comfortable ever. And I guess that's just who I am and what my life will be. And so yes. I didn't even, because it would have been too painful to try to hope and then be disappointed and then to lose again. It. Yep. Yes, yes. At least you know what disappointment feels like or you know what hopelessness feels like. You know, you know you can sit with it. You know you can deal with it. It may be miserable, but it's familiar. And taking that risk and being a little vulnerable and taking on a healing process that can be a little scary, that's a big risk. And anyone who does it, I just applaud. You know, I tell each of my clients that I'm just so honored that they allow me to be part of the process because that takes a great deal of trust and vulnerability that is hard for people with trauma because you've been hurt by people you've trusted. Well, and I think for people that have experienced trauma, the risk in and of itself may seem small. So to people who may be listening and haven't experienced something where taking a risk at, right. ended in danger or something that was genuinely right, right. unsafe for them, they're kind of like, well, why would you just settle for that? Just move forward. But if in your life, like I know in some of my circumstances that if I took a risk and stepped in trying to hope for something different, there was literal danger for me. And so it really, it's almost like that became part of the trauma, not being able to step forward in hope and not being willing to take a risk because it was safe. I think it was less about like not willing to do work because I tell you, I was willing to work, but I just didn't feel safe. And it's really hard to argue with not safe. Oh, absolutely. And in trauma-informed care, the very first principle is safety. You cannot start healing from from any kind of trauma until you feel safe in the environment and with the person you're with. That is the number one principle. Any organization, any trauma therapist, any regular therapist, or even a school setting, children can't learn until they feel safe. Nothing happens until you establish that safety. And for people that have been through trauma, especially if it's someone you trusted, like a parent, any kind of caregiver who was your abuser, you have no ability to trust beyond that because the person that was supposed to keep you safe in life didn't. And that's your primary learning moment was that the person in life who is most dedicated to keeping me safe hurt me. So how do you expect them to trust anybody else? And how do we expect them to be willing to make connections and to reach out to trust? And, right, and right, even when it's to, been hurtful. Right, and then even to like connect back to the two to the body, if being in your body has been an unsafe place to be before, wanting to be connected to your body, that is not appealing. When no, 
when that has been your experience. So do you think that there's a connection then between healing from trauma and learning the process of mindfulness? Do you think that those are connected? I'll say that again, the process of? Of healing from trauma and mm-hmm. learning to be mindful, to be able to be in the present moment in uh, a connected yes, way. Yes, I do, because after you've been through trauma, we do so many things to disconnect from our body and our mind because it's hard to feel it. It's hard to think about it. And so again, some of those behaviors that I listed, you know, the drinking or the drugs or even high risk, high adventure, you know, I want to jump out of a plane every week. It's something that takes you outside of all your thoughts and your feelings and your body. Or I have friends that always want to go out all the time. They have to be out hiking. They have to be doing something. They can't just sit with themselves because it's so uncomfortable because then the thoughts come in, the body starts to feel anxious, your heart might race. Just that sense of being in tune with your body is frightening because you learn to disconnect from your body so you don't feel all the pain. So as part of the trauma integration, you know, you start with a mindful exercise where they do some breathing and get in touch with their body because you have to start feeling the things that your body feels in order to let go of the parts that don't serve you anymore. Mm. Panic attacks don't serve most of us. No. Um, Chronic stomach aches, you know, they're not really helpful. Um, A lot of rape survivors have a lot of vaginal pain because their body is remembering this and just sitting and being mindful is so hard. And so that's part of how we start every session It's just that mindful breathing in a safe space where they know they're safe and they're feeling their body in a safe place and trying to get in tune with it and let go of the parts that are still hurting them rather than helping them. And like you said, to finish telling the story, to to bring the resolution to to the body. To tell it in a safe place and maybe come up with a different ending that your brain can then wrap a new narrative around it Mm. or you can see how you survived it and how strong you were rather than blaming yourself for what happened or shaming yourself for what happened, seeing instead that really I was the survivor in this story and I need to change the narrative so that I see how amazing I was that I made it through. It sounds like a really empowering process for people to begin to realize that it's okay to connect to themselves, but also to take charge of their own experience. Yes, yes. Because when we go through trauma, we have to make sense of it somehow. And usually we do it by blaming ourselves. You know, I should have done this or I should have done that. I should have said this. I should have hit the person. I should have run. I should have left my home. The fact is we were just surviving. We did what we could to survive it with the tools we had at the time. And you can't blame yourself for that. It wasn't our actions that caused the trauma, but only we can heal it and move Mm -hmm. forward. And this process of telling the story in a safe place and then seeing where your body's carrying it and allowing that to release so that nervous energy can leave your body and you don't have to feel it every time you have a trigger. Instead, something might trigger you and you just go, oh, that reminds me of when this happened. But it's just another one of your stories. It's just integrated in your whole life story. It's not this standout part that defines you because so many people define themselves by the trauma they went through. But that isn't their whole self. They're amazing, wonderful people beyond that. It's just something that happened to them. And that's the part that I try to get them to see. I really love how you said that that only the person can heal their own trauma. 
And I think that that's so beautiful because I think so many times people that I have met who have experienced trauma oftentimes feel like they're broken and therefore, absolutely right. And so they're they're, damaged goods. Right. And so therefore they're looking for someone else that can help that, that can figure it out. Like, I don't know what's going on. You figure it out, you fix this, but it sounds Mm -hmm. like what you're saying is kind of flipping that on its head and helping people to recognize actually you don't have to look for the answer somewhere else. You are the only one who can heal that. Yes. Because we are. The story's ours. It's in our head. It's in our body. Someone else can tell us their interpretation of it, but we're the only ones that really know what happened, know what our body's experiencing, and can see beyond it to, hey, who was I before this? And who do I want to be? I don't have to let that moment be everything that I am. But it has to be an authentic change. Otherwise, it's not going to last. So, But we all have it in us. You know, it's just healing that broken part just a little part of it that's yes. broken, you know, that inner child, or if you were hurt as an adult, that part that's holding on to it, but it's not your core self. Your core self isn't the trauma self. As as we're talking, I have this visual that's popping up in my head of like someone that's taking a journey. And as they go through all these experiences, they're kind of picking up and carrying on more and more things. Maybe it's just yes. adding a layer of clothing or a weight in their backpack. Yeah, just things that they're having. And some people really collect a lot of things, right? There's a lot of experiences that are just unfair Mm -hmm. or traumatic or whatever. And I think one thing that seems really common is that most people kind of think, well, whatever I've arrived to this moment with, that's mine to carry for the rest of my journey. And yet it seems like this revolutionary concept that we can actually just set those things down. It's not that simple. And yet, no, no, but you know, we can. But 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 just the fact that that's a concept that that through yes. a process of connection and integration, we really can set down some of these really heavy things that have been placed upon us as we go through. So that way we can step forward without carrying all of that. That was just kind of a right. picture that came into my head as we were talking about what we were. No, I love that because it really is. We just carry these weights and it gets to a point where it's too much to carry anymore and it's not serving us. So you learn how to put it down and just carry what's still serving you. You know, what can still benefit your life or what lesson from it can you take forward? Even if it's just, how can I help other people with what I've been through? But that's all you need to carry forward. You know, we don't, Every success we have doesn't define us either. Everything, we have so many moments in life that none of them should be our full definition. But so oftentimes we just use the trauma as our definition. And it's it's okay to be resilient and it's okay to let it go and to not, and I think some people feel real responsible for holding on to it forever. Um, That's their cross to bear. Right. But I don't think that's what the mind and body or our higher selves really want us to do. We learn from what we've been through. We help others and we become stronger. It's like animals. When they go through trauma, they shake it off and they move forward. Yes. They don't just carry it around forever saying, oh my gosh, I didn't run from the tiger. I'm a bad person. I'm a bad gazelle. They let it go, but it's very hard for us humans to do it. Okay. So I'm curious about this. What do you wish, like, let's say that you could magically make everyone in the world understand one thing about trauma. What would that be? What is something that you wish if everyone understood this, 
then we would be on our way to finding a pathway toward relief from all these mm, things we're That hearing. is a really good question. I think what's helped me the most in studying trauma is each time that I meet someone that I have kind of an adverse reaction to, or I think that their behavior is really off, or I just don't like what they're doing. Oh, they're so dramatic or so whiny. Thinking there may be something behind this and just leaving space to, to not immediately judge that person by their behaviors, but realize there's so much more behind them and that we all have that. So to just have compassion for people, yes. I think that's really, if we had more compassion for everyone around us, even those we can't stand, um, would help us make a much more empathetic and kind society that had a lot less trauma in it and more space for healing. Including having that compassion for ourselves, right? For ourselves. I mean, absolutely, because we're often hardest on ourselves. Yes. We can feel sad for other people, feel empathy for them, but then it's like, oh, but we should have known better. We should have done this. Right. And I'll tell you one story that helped me was the first time I was abused was when I was seven. And I carried that for years. I should have yelled. I should have run away. I should have done something. And then when my daughter hit age seven and I looked at her and saw she's just a little girl, she's vulnerable. She's weak in many ways. And I thought, oh my God, that was me. How could I have expected myself to fight back? And so being able to put myself in her shoes and have that compassion for myself at that age, rather than judging myself as an adult in a kid's body, was very healing for me. Oh, because wow. I didn't have compassion for me until that point, until I could finally see myself as that little kid who just needed to be safe and have people keep her safe, but didn't have that choice. I imagine that moment was a pivot for you in how you- Yeah, it really was. It was when I stopped blaming myself and started trying to find ways to help myself. Yes. I have, I have noticed that people who deserve the most self-compassion often struggle to give it to themselves the most, as yep. I've noticed people that have been through unfair situations or especially things that have happened in their childhood, that they yes. carry so much self-criticism and all of these things. But in order to be able to see ourselves with any compassion whatsoever, it just unlocks. Like, I feel like it unlocks a part of ourselves that makes it so that we can now have space to see more of who we really are. Right, to explore it. Yeah. If everything is just blame and shame for yourself, you don't even think you deserve to move forward. You don't think you have enough worth to be healed. And so that's an important thing is to see yourself as someone who's just as worthy of love and compassion as everybody else. It's so interesting how complex it is, right? Because at like... Oh, it's so layered. Yeah, be, because at first glance, we may think, oh, well, I just need to like expose myself to that more or just discipline myself not to react in this kind of situation. But it really is about so many more layers than that that are going on all at the same time because our brains are like amazing and they can process yeah. <laughs> things on 10 levels at the same time. And yes. so I love that we have been able to like connect to so many of those things. Okay. I've been very curious to connect with you. I don't know if you know this. I think we've talked about this. I have a daughter who is adopted as well. And mm -hmm. so this work that you're doing with adoptive families and kids that have been adopted, um, remind me the name of 
of the organization that you're working with? Cares Meadow. Cares Meadow. I wonder if, because you didn't have kind of the understanding before you adopted, is that played into at all anything about coming back and helping other families to understand and know a little bit more about what they're Oh, absolutely. And they, you know, all of us, we have a group called the Trauma Mamas. Awesome. And we want to help other people because we were blindsided by our kids. We didn't know what to do. Some of these people have kids that are lighting the houses on fire, killing animals. You know, I want to kill you, mommy. This is not what you expect when you adopt. (laughs) You know, you don't think your child's going to try to gas you all to death in your home. That is not the picture in my head, I would imagine. No, it's not. But it's the reality of so many of these trauma parents. They have kids that have been through so much that it's a terrifying situation and helping them find ways to heal their children or to just keep themselves safe and learn how to not be destroyed by this trauma that is now within the whole family. You know, I wish I had had someone to help me in the beginning to say, hey, this is a trauma response. This is why your child hates you. This is why your child beats you up because she did attack me because it was frightening to have a new caregiver when she'd never had one and her original caregiver abandoned her. Mm. So why would she trust some woman who speaks another language who just showed up and took her away from the only home she ever knew? That's terrifying. Absolutely. But I didn't know what to do. And there was no one to help me. There were no books. There were no parent groups. And so we want to help other parents go through the experience, but have a support system, you know, to have people they can turn to and people they can tell these stories to and not have them judge their children or judge their parenting. Right. Because I would imagine the first impulse. So as a mother, and I have a daughter with special needs, like my very first response was always that is this my fault? What am I doing wrong? And so I'm sure that there's a lot of hesitation in wanting to connect. So having a safe space to be able to share in a very authentic way and say, okay, here's the real deal. How do we move yes. forward from here? That is irreplaceable in my opinion. I think. Oh, it is. Because otherwise your child acts in a crazy way and like, well, if you were just a better discipliner, your child would be this and this and this. And it's like, no, that has nothing to do with it. Some of these parents have had five amazing children, then they adopt them with trauma. You have to parent in a completely different way with traumatized children because they don't act in the same way that normal, not normal, but typical children do because their brains have developed differently. So Sarah, I have noticed some really cool things about you as we've been talking this hour. And there's like (laughs) this thread that pulls through all of it. And I just want to name it because I love it so much. I love that you in all of these different circumstances and situations that you've been in, once you find the light or the hope or the pathway forward, it is your instinct to reach back and help others to find the path too. And I think that that's so just inspiring. And I absolutely have loved to learn that even more about you, whether it's oh, with thank these, you. Yeah. Whether it's these moms with adoption or whether it is your own trauma work that now you're helping to guide clients through or all of this training and education, you're seeing that, man, I wish I had been able to have that understanding way back then. And so rather than just keep quiet about it and move on, I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to share it so that other people don't have to like fumble in the dark like I had to. So I just love that about 
what you have shared. So I just want to name it because I think oh, that that's I appreciate a really cool that. Thing. And that really is my goal. I yes. just want other people to not have to struggle as much as I did. Why not share it if if things have helped you? Yes. It's, I think kind of our responsibility to help other people that are hurting. And it really does seem like by doing that, you are doing what you mentioned at the very beginning, which is you're taking this experience, both your own personal trauma from childhood and the experience parenting your daughter, and you're transforming it into something that can bring light and good into the world. And I love that about you. Right. Take what we learn, give it to someone else. And I hope that it also gives hope to people. You know, the situation, I didn't go into all of it here, but with my daughter was pretty hopeless. I was told to institutionalize her, that it would never get better. And I refused to do that. Wow. And not saying that people who do that are bad. It was just my choice. But seeing that I have gone all through this and I'd still come out of it okay and our lives have gotten better, my dream is that that gives hope to other people that they don't give up because they see that it can work. And so the question is, is it worth pushing through the fear? To find that. Oh my God, yes. I mean, to live in fear your whole life and anxiety is not a life. Yes. You're living in reaction to life rather than living life. I feel like in survival mode and there's no joy in just surviving. I feel like what I would want people to also hear is that not only is it worth feeling some fear to risk being hope, but that that fear doesn't stay, that hope and fear don't coexist for very long. No, the fear goes. The first time you start sharing that and being vulnerable in a safe space and seeing that it's okay and you are going to be safe is so transformative because then you lose a lot of other fears because you don't just have one fear. One compounds onto another, onto another, onto another. And you start breaking it down, you lose so many of your fears and your paranoias and anxieties because you realize you can still be safe even when you share who you truly are. There are people who will love you, who will keep you in a safe space, and you can be your authentic self and still be loved by others. Sarah, I am so glad, and I was so wise to be excited for two weeks for this conversation because I have loved being able to connect with you. Is there anything? I really appreciate you having me here, Michelle. Thank you. Um, Before we go, how can people connect with you? If, if, People would like to connect with you and reach out either to participate in some of the adoption um, Mm -hmm. trauma work or even to work with you as a practitioner. How can people find you? Um, I have a website. It is traumaintegrationcoaching.org. And so they can reach me on there. They can email me and I will get back to them immediately. I'm also on Facebook under Sarah Farmer and there's a trauma integration coaching page on there as well. And I would be happy to connect with anybody to work with them or just to give them some advice around adoption and trauma. I love sharing knowledge. And if they want to join the Trauma Mama group, I can connect them there too. Absolutely. And to find that little spark of hope, right? Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us on Mind Well Today, the podcast that introduces you to exceptional individuals that are developing powerful, mindful connections. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of MindWell. We are sponsored by Trauma Integration, LLC, a company passionate about helping people understand their trauma response and find wholeness within. You can find out more at www.integratetrauma.com.